faster than I am right now. Primarily because of the vision of us getting in the Word together, reading the Word together. Look at this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You need the word of God and so do I. So our vision is for all of us to read the same portion of scripture every day throughout the year. And if you get behind, just jump right back in. And then in our life groups and even on the weekend, we're going to be teaching the same portion of scripture that we're reading together. I love that vision because we can receive the good work from God and be fully equipped together. Let's grow in the word this year. I think it can change our lives forever. I'm proud to be your pastor. I love the way you lean in towards the word of God. So let's read it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you guys ready to say the word this morning? Come on. Come on. Good, good to be in church. Everybody have, I uh, hope everybody had a good uh, New Year. Everybody have a good New Year's Eve. Everybody, everybody, okay. How many of you actually stayed up till midnight? How many, let me ask this, how many of you did not? You went to bed early and they're like, I'm so proud. Uh, yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't make that wise decision as a family. We kept our whole family, all of our kids up until what, like 1 a.m. I think is when we got in bed. Stupid. It was just like, <laughs> and I know you shouldn't say that word, but I'm just telling you because kids don't sleep in. So our two youngest, they were up 6.30 the next morning like, hey, good morning. That is the closest to a hangover I think that I can ever experience. Because it's like, oh, it's gone. I don't want to. Ah, my head's throbbing. So uh, it was good. You guys have to have a little bit of grace on me. I'm dealing with some, some head cold, sinus drainage stuff. So every once in a while, I have to cough. And I'll try not to cough directly on you or into your ear, uh, I'll try to block the mic, but it may happen and you're just going to have to get over it because that's just where I'm at and you need to be praying more for your pastor instead of judging me and my coughing. I'm just telling you. So uh, anyway, this is going to be a great series uh, because it's going to last the whole year. It's gonna, if you're wondering what series we're doing next, this is it. This is the series for the whole year. It's literally, this sermon is going to last a year. Uh, so uh, it'll be the longest sermon you've ever heard in your life. As Pastor Rick said, our heart as your pastors are basically that you would get in, you would love the word, you'd study the word, but you'd really accept it as truth for your life. It becomes the foundation for the decisions that you make uh, and, and, and just how you're, you're living day in and day out. Uh, everything is going to kind of work together through every different age group. I'm excited about that. So as as you're studying here in, in big life, as they call it, <laughs> and uh, your little life and kid life and 412 students, everybody's going to be reading these same scriptures. And so uh, really we're setting this up to, to hopefully make the word of God as easily accessible as, as, as ever. Uh, we've, we've given out some bookmarks for you guys to kind of track along your reading. Uh, you can get the app and look at the devotionals that are on there. You can certainly download the one like one-year Bible on the version app um, and, 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 and track through there. But basically, we're trying to remove every excuse that you would ever have. Even on the version app, if you don't have time to actually read through the scriptures, it will read it to you, okay? I mean, how lazy do you have to be? But it'll read it to you, and you can change the speed that it'll read it to you. Now, the high speed, it sounds like a chickmunk on crack, okay? So I, I wouldn't necessarily, because you can't understand a word they're saying, but, but I mean, and if you won't, if, if all that will not work, then, then I'll send uh, Pastor Ethan to your house to read it to you and tuck you into bed at night, uh, and I'll give you his number after service. I can say that because he's not here to defend himself, but, uh, but it's, it's going to be a good year. I want us to, to get into the Word, and now, I, I know I, I've got a lot of my notes have the, the Scripture and stuff that we'll be reading, but I encourage you to start bringing, if you got like, like this is a Bible, I don't, the, this is big, it's a Bible, and it's got pages and like a cover and stuff. And um, so if you have one of these, I'd encourage you to bring it. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you one. Uh, but, but I'd encourage you to, to, to actually get in. There's something about feeling pages that's important. Uh, so I encourage you, if you can, to bring your Bible. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least pick at least one scripture every week and 
that I'm reading out of my Bible. This is the Bible that my wife got me so that when I threw it at people, it would hurt them. And, uh, so, and I haven't thrown it at anybody in a long time. But, but, but let's look at this, this scripture together in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, his delight, the best thing about him is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates. Okay, the law is the word of God. That's the Bible. That's what this is talking about, okay? And day and night, he meditates on it. He is like a tree planted in streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Now, how many of you guys want some of that? Come on now. You want everything that you do to prosper. Well, here's the deal. You can get to a place where if you are allowing the word of God to direct everything that you do, where you will see your life prosper in every single area. I believe that. Back in 1983, President Reagan established, he he. he he made a declaration that the year of 1983 was going to be the year of the Bible for our nation. How many of you guys remember President Reagan? Come on now. I mean, there wasn't a lot of good that came out of the 80s, but we had a really good president back then. Uh, and, and he made a declaration that it was going to be the year of the Bible. I want to quote some of the things that he said in this declaration. He stated that the Bible has made a unique contribution in shaping the United States as a distinctive and blessed nation and people. He quoted President Jackson saying, the Bible is a rock on which the republic rests. It also acknowledged that as that there was a national need to study and apply the teachings of the Holy Scripture, that inside its pages lie the answers to all the problems that man has ever known. Man, that's some strong, strong statements. And so true. But look how far we have come away from that. A while back, we did this series, Truth in the World of Grey, where we basically just talked about how culture is aggressively drifting away from the word of God. It's always taking courage to follow after Jesus. It's always taking courage to follow Jesus. But when you live in a culture that wakes up every day determined to question the belief system that our nation was founded on, when everyone around you is saying, why do you believe what you believe? And questioning your faith and questioning the core of who you are. It could get easy to get to a place where you say, well, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. Why do I believe what I believe? What do I believe anyway? That's why we need this. We need this because... <laughs> Because there's an agenda that is aggressively being projected at us right now. We have to go back to the foundation of who we are. So whether you're in a place where you feel like you're very seasoned in the word of God. And you just know, you know it, you've, you've studied your whole life. Look, I believe that you should never get to a place where you feel like you've got it. You can always learn more. And if you feel like you can't, then you've you've just limited the spirit of God and his ability to reveal different layers of who he is through his word. But if you're in a place where culture is, you're feeling the pressure of it. You're feeling that that peer pressure. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Cat tastes a lot like chicken, but you get a lot of hairballs when you. It's just, it's hard to. There's more than one way to skin a cat, but I haven't figured out the effective way yet, I guess. So, What was I saying? Bible. Right. Maybe you feel the pressure of culture. Maybe, maybe in your own life you've seen percentage upon percentage begin to fade away from truth. And accepting what culture is having to say is true. <coughs> That's why we're doing this series. Second Timothy, Pastor Rick mentioned this scripture in the video, 316. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
Many of us don't like to read instructions. I've noticed that. How many of you, you just don't really care for the instructions? Like, I don't really. I know. I, you buy something new and you're like, it's, I'll figure this out. I got this. A lot of times that's men. Okay, we can be a little bit prideful with that. I can, I get that. Christmas, always get stuff where you got you to gotta figure out how it works. You got to put it together, right? If he's got an on-off button, I'm like, I can do this. <coughs> but my kids were given this like, multi-use gaming table, right? So it's got like air hockey and basketball and all this stuff. And it was given to us by a friend. I'm questioning their friendship, but, um, but they gave it to us. And, and so as soon as the gifts were done, getting open and everything, you know how I spent the rest of my Sunday or my Christmas day. It was putting that thing together. But I got this thing and I'm like, there's a perfectly clear picture of this on the front of the box. So all I have to do It's just simply make it look like that. How hard could that be? About six hours later, uh, I was still assembling, and I had to disassemble and reassemble a few parts because I guess there's an A and a B, and who knew? And and so it took a long time. Figured out instructions are pretty important, right? I've learned that lesson before, at least I thought I did. Apparently, I keep ignoring the lesson. There are some instructions that really have no value, okay? I, I get that. There's some of those things out there. It's just like, yeah, duh, I get it, okay? I found some instructions I thought were really, really funny. These are actual instructions, some things that were, were printed on actual products. Let's look at these. For a baby stroller, <clears throat> under caution, remove occupants from the stroller before folding it, okay? Now, that should be pretty obvious, although if you've got a lot of kids, you may forget every once in a while. Don't judge us. Uh, it happens, in a manual for a microwave oven. Do not use for drying pets. <laughs> Unless it's a cat. I mean, that's kind of fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> I'll send me many emails. Go for it. Uh, on packaging for a clothes iron. Do not iron clothes on the body. Okay, now let's just be honest. Let's be honest. How many of us have tried this at one point or another? You're in a hurry, you know. You're heading out the door. You realize there's a corner. It's just a just little steam action, you know, carterizing the flesh a little bit. Not a big deal. How about this one? On children's cough medicine. I could use some of that right now. <coughs> Excuse me. Children's cough medicine. Do not drive car or operate machinery. It's a big issue with those five-year-olds, you know, out there on the highways and byways and driving tractors. We are in Arkansas, though, so. On a child's Superman costume. Now, this one, this one's crushing. Wearing this garment does not actually enable you to fly. Now, why would you, why would you crush the hopes and dreams of children all over the world? This is the best one. On the packaging for Johnson & Johnson rectal thermometers, (coughs) every rectal thermometer made by Johnson & Johnson is personally tested. (laughs) (laughs) So many ways I could go with that. (laughs) That job's a real pain in the butt, isn't it? Okay, should have put your kids in children's church, I'm telling you, try to keep it clean in here, but you never know. Look, so those, those instructions are useless, obviously, but what about the Bible? And I sit in a lot of counseling sessions, I'm just like, look, if you would have just, if you would have just read Proverbs, If you would have just read that, we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't wouldn't be dealing with what we're dealing with. I mean, certainly as a nation, if this was our guide, if this was our guide, we'd be in a different place. It is the word of God. So there might be parts of it that you don't understand. There may even be parts of it that you don't like. But if it is in the word and it is the word of God, then you can know without a shadow of a doubt that it is there for you. It is for you. 
It's not there to be against you. It's there for you. So let's take a look at what the Bible is. What the Bible is, because here's the thing. Some of us, we grew up, and maybe we, we had some, some misunderstandings about the Bible. <clears throat> maybe you're like me, and I was around environments where it's like the physical Bible was made sacred. Like, you better never stack another bio- book on top of the Bible ever. Or, or you might see it every once in a while driving around. Somebody have it like in the rear view or rear of their car, like up in the window above the seat. And you'd be like, I can't believe those people desecrating the word of God. I remember one time walking into Awanas. I love Awanas. It helped me memorize a lot of scripture. Some of the people that worked in Awanas were not nice people. And I remember I was walking in Awanas. I was out in the, in the parking lot and I accidentally dropped my Bible. And it was like the sound of dropping my Bible echoed through eternity. And this one teacher that taught in Awanas, it's like she wasn't even near me. I don't even know how she knew that I dropped it. But her head ripped around so quick. And she looked at me with her beady little eyes that pierced through to the core of my soul and just shook her head. And I was just like, oh, God is going to strike me dead right now. I mean, I can't believe I dropped the Bible. Maybe you had some misconceptions about it. Anybody ever in an environment, if you went to Christian school, you know you did this. Anybody ever say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible? Anybody? Raise your hand if you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible. This is all the Baptists in our church right here. Uh, and, and here's the deal. If you went to Christian school, you said Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, you said pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, you said pledge allegiance to the American flag, you said pledge allegiance to your second grade teacher, you said pledge allegiance to the, I mean, you just, you did 30 minutes of saying your pledge of allegiance to, to, to all kinds of stuff. You just did that. But what is it? I want to break it down. Logistically, this is what it is. 66 books written by 40 different human authors who lived in dozens of different countries and cultures, who wrote three different, and was written in three different languages. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Over the span of 1,500 years. 1,500 years. This is amazing because there is no other document that was written by that many people in that many different languages, that many cultures and countries over that many years that has any amount of fluidity. That is still completely, totally connected. That does not contradict. It remains intact. It's amazing. Anybody ever in, in Sunday school or whatever play the game telephone? Remember that? It was all about gossip. It was to teach you about gossiping. And you sit in a circle and you, you'd lean over and you'd, you'd come up with something to say, some sort of phrase, you know. And you whisper it in the person's ear next to you and then they would try to whisper it to the next person. And they'd whisper it to the next person. But you could only say it once. You couldn't say it more than once. You just had to go based on what you thought you heard. And you'd get back to you and it was like something ridiculous like, uh... You know, you, you said something like, I just want to thank the Lord. And it got back to you, I, I, I want to spank a hippopotamus? I don't know. <laughs> it's just like it's weird, random stuff. And that would just happen in an environment like this. But the word of God has always remained true. It's never changed. 1,500 years. What is it historically? Well, it's a book of history, but it's not exhaustive. It doesn't tell you all the information. Because it's not really about that because it's a book of history written for a theological purpose. So it's a theological interpretation of history. (coughs) Designed to tell us more about the God of history more than history itself. So it... And there's a lot of books that are written that that didn't make the cut of the Bible that help outline way more history. And And you can get access to those. You can read all about them. The Bible, what made the cut was these are the important moments in history that most importantly define who God was in relation to history, in relation to our lives, okay? So theologically, the Bible reveals the true character of God who has existed in all eternity. It reveals his character through his covenant by loving his people, protecting them, leading them, forgiving them, and providing for them. So, book of Genesis, that's the first book of the Bible. It's a pretty good place to start. That's where we're going to start. Now, there's a lot we could say about the book of Genesis. Uh, We could talk about context of history, the author, the culture was written in. If you want more of that information, we're going to have a podcast we're going to be putting out later on this week. It'll give you a lot of that information. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it gives the story of creation. 
Now, here's the deal. When you start getting into the story of creation, you can easily get pulled into debates about creation versus evolution. And people like to fight about things like, you know, when it says it was created in this many days, is that a literal interpretation? Or does a day represent a million years or a different amount of time? Was it, is the earth a th- thousands of years old or millions of years old? And, you know, your kids will ask you questions like, so did Cain and Abel ride T-Rexes to school? Or, you know, what's the deal? Did, did Adam have a belly button? Important stuff like that, you know? They're trying, they, we'd like to get these questions and that those, those, some of those questions are important to answer. And li- here's the deal, we live in a culture where where people want to know the truth, they don't want to know just what you believe, but why you believe it. Okay, so there's important information that you need to, to have to be able to talk about your faith. And I believe that you can, you can get knowledge to a certain level that will help you if you can communicate it in a gracious and loving way to people that can give a great case for your faith. But I think it's important that we're careful that we don't make creation the subject of Genesis. Creation is not the subject of Genesis. God is the subject of Genesis. Who he is. Creation is not, or the Genesis is not about creation, it's about the creator. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God, the true eternal, eternal God, He's, he's the author and the subject of the word of God from the very beginning. Before energy, time, space, and material world as we know it, God existed. And everything is all about him. In the very first chapter, 32 times in one chapter, the very first chapter, are the words God said. It also says things like God created, God blessed, God rested, God formed, God planted, God commanded. So... It's obvious that this is really about God. But this is really important because so often, if, if you don't understand the cre- that in Genesis, it's actually beginning to lay out the very character of who God is, you can miss the whole point altogether. Because Genesis is meant to make a, an, a relational connection between us and the character of God. So I think one of the most important questions that we can answer as we open up into this year, the year of the Bible, is who is God? What is his character? Because right there in Genesis, I think we can learn a lot about it. So, take out your notes. The first thing about God, he is infinitely creative, and he is the source of all life. Genesis 1-2. The earth was out fo- without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. It's first mention of the Holy Spirit right there. The Trinity is actually mentioned in Genesis. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before God acted in creation, though, there was nothing. Just a void. Chaos, really. Nothing there. And in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Look, this is amazing. I'm not going to geek out too much, but it's amazing how creation and science are hand in hand when you understand who created science. Because God spoke, and in an instant at 186 miles per second, light existed. In an instant... God spoke, and the sun burned at 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit in an instant. In an instant, God spoke, and God placed in perfect orbit and rotation and tilt on the axis planet Earth 93 million miles away from the sun. Any closer, we burn up. Any further away, we freeze. Perfect. In an instant, he spoke these things. And that's just outer space. If you go into the complexities of everything, the, how God demonstrates himself in every element down to the smallest elements of proteins, it is so obvious that it is by design from a creative God. 
we serve an incredible, vast God. It says this in, in Psalm 9-1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Look, even if we just looked at, at, at his creation, it would be enough. But God doesn't stay there because why did God create all those things in perfect balance? Why did he do all that? For us. For our wonderment and enjoyment and to declare his glory. And at first he just did it for two people. All this. Look, if that doesn't speak to the love and provision of the creator of the universe, I don't know what does. But he didn't stop with that. He, he created man. He created man. In Genesis 2, 7, when God creates Adam and Eve, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. That's what it says, the breath of life. In Hebrew, the word spirit is the same word, breathe. So I want you to get this picture. The same God who, who spoke the galaxies into existence. comes down and kneels and gets close enough to man to breathe his spirit into him. Some of you, you feel like God is distant from you. You felt that way for a long time. But we do not serve a God who is distant. We serve a God who comes near and breathes his life into us. So if you feel like you're in a void, or you feel like there's hopelessness, helplessness around you, I want to let you know in a moment, the Spirit of God can breathe new life into you if you allow him. God created us because he loves us. God is love. And love needs an object. And we are the object of his love. God created us for one purpose, to love us. That was it. Point number two, God is infinitely loving. And he is the source of all good. Genesis 1, verse 29. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed and that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Not only did God give life, but he created this environment where, where we could flourish, where people could flourish. Now, this is, this is when creation was still perfect, you know. God is really good at, at providing and nourishing. A couple years ago, we took a stab at, at doing some gardening. So uh, I, I know some of you have a green thumb. Pray for my wife. Because, uh, because bless her heart, she just don't. She just, baby, you don't. She killed a cactus, people. Come on, that's hard to do. <laughs> okay, so, but she wanted to try gardening, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm supportive husband. I'm like, all right, we'll try some gardens. Fine. So we, you get this little, you know, small above ground garden thing, and her mom helps, and they plant all kinds of stuff in there. And man, we, we, I mean, we, she did everything that she thought she was supposed to do with that, as far as watering and everything. At the end of the season, we got like one deformed cucumber that was like, looked more like a golf ball. And, and then and like th- three little weird multi-fingered carrots. Like it was just, <laughs> the, like you could get like a bite out of. <laughs> but that was a victory for us. The only thing that thrived in that garden are the flowers that you grow to keep the pest away from eating the garden. Like that's the only thing. Like, and those, they were beautiful. I mean, they just sprouted all over the place, but we just couldn't grow any food. So it was like, well, kind of a lost cause. So then we went into the next season. We, we didn't do anything. We decided, we don't know. We got to regroup, try to figure some things out because we are not good at gardening. Didn't touch it, didn't do anything to it. Like 75 pounds of tomatoes grew, you know, all this stuff just starts sprouting up all over the place. Be like, wow, you guys, look at your garden. We're like, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, we were a uh, 
really good at it, so uh, that was just an experiment. You're not an experiment. God's going to take care of you. God wants to nourish you. His heart around the whole thing was that that we would have everything that we need. We live in a fallen world now, but God still supplies your needs and nourishes you according to his riches and glory. He gave them food that they needed and, and he gave them shelter. And he, he gave them community, he gave them each other. He, he gave them all these things and he walked with them. Okay, so how does all this happen today? How do we get these things today? Through his church. Now, it doesn't look perfect. It's nothing like the creation was before the fall. It doesn't look anything like that. The church is not perfect. This church is not perfect. In different seasons, we're just, we're jacked up in different seasons. We got a lot of things we're working on. We're doing our best. But the bottom line is, and this is, this is, this is going to ruffle some of your feathers. God designed you to be in community. And you can't just kind of float around unplanted and unrooted. You've got to get yourself planted in the body of Christ. And I understand sometimes God will move in your life in a season and maybe there's a shift that happens. But that is a short season. God has not designed you to church hop. God hasn't designed you just, well, I didn't really like how they, that one thing they did. I didn't really like that, so I'm going to go somewhere else. You're going to find something you don't like in every church you go to. But God's plan and God's design was for you to be nourished and grow and thrive in the body of Christ. How do we do that here? A good place to start is connect because then you'll learn about who we are as a church, but you also learn more about you and your personal relationship with God and different ways you can get connected. But, but the primary way that you, you get nourished is through life groups. This isn't just a creative element of our vision, like, oh, what should we do other than church? I don't know, meeting people's homes? No, it was, it was, we saw this in the design of the early church. We see it as the will of God. We don't see it as just like, program that we need as a church, we see it as something that every person in our church desperately needs. We have life groups because you can't get nourished in this hour once a week. It's not going to happen. You're going to be incredibly malnourished. It's got to happen outside of these four walls. So we have life groups. We also have serve groups because I I find that one of the best ways that I'm nourished is when I become the hands and feet of Jesus to other people. And I'm not just talking about the incredible people that serve in our services and before and after and all that. I'm talking about outside of this. We're going to be aiming hard this year. With our life groups, we don't want to just be meeting in a home and talking about Jesus and then nobody outside of our home gets to see him. We're going to start serving some people around us. We're going to let our life groups get out of homes and start serving the communities that are around them. That's how you get nourished. It's by being connected. So I want to encourage you. It's a new year. It's time for you to get connected to the body of Christ. Just coming to church services won't do it. It won't do it. That does not get you connected to the body of Christ. You've got to have relationships that are living the Monday through Saturday outside of this. If you believe that, say amen. The Bible doesn't just simply stop at the creation. It would have been nice because it was perfect. It was awesome, right? The story doesn't end there. Genesis 2.8. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put a man, the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like any good story, there's a twist, there's tension that comes into this. The centerpiece of this creation are these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Number three, God is infinitely worthy of everything you will ever have, but he also gives us the power to choose. Genesis 2.16, and the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, now on one hand, this seems really reasonable, right? God creates all this stuff and says, enjoy it all. There's just one thing you can enjoy. That seems pretty reasonable, right? On the other hand, it could look really tricky and mean. Like, God, why put this landmine in the middle of all this? Because you're God, right? You know what they're probably going to do. So why even set them up to fail and start with? Simple. God wants a real relationship. And real relationship doesn't happen without freedom. In your own lives, the strongest relationships you have, it's because you choose to have those relationships. And sometimes it's a hard choice. It's hard to stay married. You've got to fight for it. You've got to choose every day to love that person. But you have freedom in it, and that's why the relationship is real and sincere. And this is what God wanted. It wouldn't be real and sincere if it's like, well, there's never going to be a chance that they'll ever not choose me. No, he gives them that option. Now, here's the thing. He gave them so much more. But he did give them the option. He gave them the option to not trust him, to not love him, because, because he wanted real relationship. And so these two trees, the tree of life, man, that's everything that comes from God, everything that sustains you. Look, you, you live in, in these two trees today. You either live in the tree of life, where God is your source, God is the one who directs you, God is the one that, that feeds you, God is the, his word is what nourishes you. It's, it's seeing the world the way God sees it. And it's from a much higher altitude. It's from a much bigger perspective. It's not driven by emotions in a moment. It's not driven by feelings. It is driven by truth. It is driven by grace. It is driven by a peace that transcends understanding. That is the tree of life. Or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And basically, that's just you deciding, I don't really need God. I got this. I'm smart enough. I have enough knowledge. I can understand. I can decide what is good and bad, ultimately. I can do that. I do that. And we have that decision every day. Every morning you wake up, you make the decision. Do you live in the tree of life or do you live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God says if you eat from it, you're going to die. And And we're seeing that around us. Genesis 3.3, but the serpent, who is Satan, said to the woman, you won't die. There's a couple of distorted views of God that the enemy is working every day to get you to buy into. The first one is this, and that is that there is somehow life apart from God. That's one of the things he wants you to buy into. He did it right there. You will not die. You'll be fine not trusting God. And he wants us to buy into that. He wants us to believe that God's way is not the only way, that there are other ways. It's just a way, that God is somehow an option instead of the source. That's one of the things the enemy would love to get us to buy into. The other distorted view of God comes in the rest of that verse. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the second distorted view of God that you'd want us to buy into is that God is somehow holding back from you. That God doesn't want you to enjoy life. That God is this cosmic killjoy. That everything in the Bible is just there to keep you from having fun. And that, that God is disappointed in you. I grew up in this view of God for a long time in my life where God is just upset with me, mad at me that he wanted to smite me from heaven as the mighty smiter of smiteys. But fortunately, Jesus wouldn't let him kill me. I don't really understand why he wouldn't let him kill me, but he just won't let him kill me. That was the view that I had. It certainly wasn't that God was for me. The enemy wants you to believe the only way you can truly experience freedom, the only way that you can can truly experience experience happiness is to leave God behind and and try to make your own way. And that was the lie that Adam and Eve believed in. That's what they bought into. And because of that choice, life for mankind has changed ever since. 
I mean, in that moment, Murphy's Law was born. Anything that can go wrong ultimately will go wrong. Mosquitoes were born. Uh, Food became fattening. Uh, I mean, a lot of things happened in that moment. The biggest thing was this. Shame entered. And innocence was lost. This is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. In Genesis 3, uh, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. To this point, they walked with him. They walked with God in the cool of the day. There was no distractions. There was nothing inhibiting that conversation. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. This decision created this devastating cycle of man trying to get right before God by works. If they could just do good things enough that maybe they could somehow get some innocence back, receive his favor again. But you can't. So it's in a pretty dark, desperate place right here, right? But it doesn't end there. Because number four, God is also infinitely gracious. And he pursues imperfect people. God is infinitely gracious and he pursues imperfect people. We see this with Adam and Eve because as soon as they had fallen and they were in sin, God covers their shame. He provides cover for them with animal skins. He covers their nakedness and their shame. With Cain and Abel, I mean, Cain kills his brother, Abel. He's the first murderer. It's a good thing I'm not God because I would just be like, well, then you're going to die. But after Cain killed Abel, Cain starts communicating, he realizes that he was going to be separated from God and he realized that he didn't want that. So God actually promises he's going to protect a murderer. And then with Noah, God destroys his good creation but preserves Noah and his family. Next week, one of the things we're going to talk about is the promise given to Abraham God's faithfulness and grace to that family. It's amazing. As we close this up, I just want you to understand this one thing. Over and over again, people will continue to struggle with the worldview. Is God for them or against them? They're going to struggle with that. A lot of people in the word ask that. Pharaoh in, in Exodus said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? God's enemies throughout Psalms, you're going to see this. God's enemies throughout Psalms say, where's your God now? In this day and age, when cancer says, where's your God? When failure says, where's your God? When poverty says, where's your God? You're going to have to remember who your God is. And that is why you need his word. Because when the rest of the world is saying, where is God now? You're going to be able to say, I know exactly where he is. He's where he's been all along. And that is in a place where he pursues his people. He pursues us. He pursues us over and over again. When God's people doubt, he pursues them. When they sin, he forgives. When they fail, he redeems them. When they're in slavery, he sets them free. When they mourn, he comforts them over and over and over again. For the rest of this year, the entire story of the Bible, you're going to see these two things. God's people and their faithlessness and God and his faithfulness. And even in the midst of people just trying to abandon him, he pursues them. And he's pursuing us. And he's pursuing you. You have to answer the question, who is God? Every week we give people an opportunity to answer that question. Who is God for me? Who is God? We're gonna do that today, but I wanna share one more verse. This is a strong verse, and this is not meant to come across judgmental, but it is truth. In Deuteronomy 3, 30, 19, it says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. In other words, look, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence of who God is. 
Heaven and earth are his witnesses. As I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life. Close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here in this place today and, and maybe you've never, you've never chosen him, you've never chosen life, It might be for a lot of different reasons. It could be because Christians, because they're, they're mean and weird and hypocritical sometimes. And so you don't want to be anything like that. So that's caused you to, to run away from God. And some of you, you may be fed up with church, but you're not fed up with God. You're just not sure what to think about him. Look, I, put all those things aside and just understand that he is pursuing you. And he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. But you ha- the only way that you can have relationship with him is it's by surrendering your life to him. The only way you can surrender your life to him is by accepting the price that he paid for your sin, your brokenness. If you're here today, I believe God's already speaking to you. You, just, you, have, to, you have to take a small step towards him. And if you'll take that step, he's faithful. He's already waiting on you right now. If you're here today, you're ready to give your life to God or you're ready to rededicate your life. Maybe you just feel like you've been in that void for a while. You've been in that place of emptiness and you're ready for his spirit to breathe new life into you again. He's ready to kneel down next to you and breathe that life again. If you're one of those two people, nobody looking around, but I would love to pray with you. If that's you, if you just slip your hand up as soon as you see, put it down. Got it, got it, got it, got it. There at the back, thanks. Anybody else? Make sure I see you. Thanks. I just want to get right with Jesus. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with God. Anybody else? Thanks, man. Praise God. All right. I think there's seven or eight people. Anybody else? Father God, I thank you for every person that just raised their hand. They're encountering you right now. Right there in their chair, God, as they just simply surrender. As they surrender to the fact that they're they're sinners and they can't save themselves, but you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for them. As they believe that in their heart and confess it with their mouth, I thank you, God, they're gonna find new life in you. The spirit of the living God is being breathed into them even now. As they're being forgiven of their sin, as they're giving a new, a new fresh start in you, God, I pray that you would give them the strength to every day walk out repentance, God, that they, they can't go back to living the way they were living before and they'll never want to once they experience you. So God, I pray that they would grow every day more in love with you, understanding your pursuit of them. Lord, that's what we all want. I thank you, God, that you demonstrate your character so clearly right there at the beginning of your word. Thank you, God, for your creation. Thank you for, for taking care of us, for, for, your blessing, for blessing us in so many different ways. God, it's just amazing the vastness of who you are and, that, and yet how intimate you are, how close you are to us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Help us to live our lives as a representation of that love that we've, we've been given, we've accepted. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you're thankful for the word of God, let's give him a hand this morning, amen. <laughs> Praise God. Let's stand together. We're gonna, we're gonna worship God one more time with our, our giving, our tithes and our offerings. I wanna go back to that verse I read at the very beginning in Psalm 1. Let's read this together again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Look, one of the ways in my personal life that I was rooted in, and established in my relationship with God is by demonstrating my trust in Him. 
Every close relationship I have, there is an element of trust. It has been tested. It is earned. It is given. It is received. That happens in any strong relationship. One of the, look, God has done everything that he needs to do to show us that we can trust him. Everything he needs to do. One of the greatest ways in my personal life that I was able to demonstrate that I trusted him too is trusting him with everything that I have, including my money. And I grew up in a home where we didn't have a lot of it. And so I know all the tendencies and I know all the, the ways that you could go in your mind. Well, what about the economy? And what about this next month? And what about this? And what about that? One of the things that plants me and makes me prosperous in relationship with him is I say, no matter what, I'm going to trust you by giving you my best and my first. I'm going to give you the first minutes of my day, the first focus of my year, the first fruits of my labor. I'm going to tithe. And then I'm going to be open to giving even more. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to trust you. And in doing that, I've seen every area of my life prosper. Meditating on his word, but then living it. Doing what it says. God's called us to be that church. Amen. Let's pray over tithes and offerings. God, as we give today, we give because we're thankful. We know everything we have, it it comes from you. Uh, Even our ability to earn money, it comes from you. Everything. So we return our tithes to you in in obedience. And any offerings we give, God, we just pray that you bless it. Every person that's given online or mail it in their tithes and offerings, Lord, I, I thank you that you're blessing it all. Because because you're looking for our heart. So we demonstrate our trust in you, God, so that we're rooted in you in strong relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give together. I lift your name.